Well, hello, church family. I'm Derek. I'm one of the pastors here, and I can't tell you how excited I am that today is our last virtual-only worship service. That means next week we have the tremendous opportunity of meeting back together here in our church. And so I don't know about you. It's been a crazy time for me, um, and I'm sure it's been a crazy time for you. And I'm just looking forward to next week being together with you as a church family, worshiping under one roof, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, you know, last week, Scott finished up Romans 8, our series called Free at Last. And it was so perfect for the season that we found ourselves in, the season that we find ourselves in. To be reminded of the freedom that's found in Christ alone is a tremendous encouragement and a tremendous truth that we should hold on to. But you know, with this season that we've been in, I've, I've noted something. This season that we've been in has exacerbated something for me. It has shed light on something that I think is one of the hardest things to do. And I think one of the hardest things to do is wait. And we're in this season of waiting. And it's so hard when someone just pumps on the brakes and it's not you and you're forced to stop you're forced to pause, you're forced to wait. And we find ourselves in that very season right now. I mean, some of us are waiting to get back together with friends across the street in their house. Some of us, we're waiting to get back to work. Some of us are waiting on, on the economy to start back up. Some of us are even waiting anxiously with, is there gonna be a, a new normal or will we ever get back to normal? And so we find ourselves in this season of waiting. And I want to ask you a question. How are you doing with this waiting thing? If you're like me, I'm horrible at it. If I'm driving down a multiple lane road, let me tell you something. If I'm in the slow lane behind slow cars, I am not waiting patiently behind those cars. No, I take matters in my own hands. I go in the next lane to pass them. Now, you know what happens 10 times out of 10, right? You get in what was the fast lane and now it becomes a slow lane. And the lane that you were in that was slow is now the fast lane. But all joking aside, I think waiting has this way of exposing a common response in all of us. In one way or another, each of us fight this waiting thing with impatience. For instance, I can't control the traffic. So what am I doing? I'm taking matters into my own hands and I'm, I'm impatient and so I'm changing lanes. I can't control my kid's attitude. And, and I'm wanting them to change their attitude right now, so much so that I grow impatient and frustrated. And I say, kids, change your attitude right now. Like any kid ever in the history of kids has ever been able to change their attitude right then and there, right? But instead of being able to patiently wait, I exercise impatience and frustration. I'm sure it's happened to you where you've been looking forward to go to a restaurant all week and you get there and they say what? Oh, it's an hour and a half long wait. Now, I don't know about you, but I am not sitting still for an hour and a half. I'm gonna go check out all the other restaurants to make sure they have a lesser wait. And waiting has this way of reminding us that we're not the ones calling the shots, that we're not the one in control. And the passage today that we're looking at sits right smack dab in the middle of a, of a season of waiting. It's, it's suspended in this angst and tension of this seeming silence of God and this inaction of God. It seems he's 
not there, seems he's not working and he's not speaking. And so today we're gonna to be looking at the book of Habakkuk. He's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And if you wanna go ahead and turn there, we will be in chapter three. But Habakkuk is a book from faith for faith. And it's a tremendous book. It's, it's a book that um, has characteristics of three other books in the Bible. It, it, it has like a conversation, a dialogue between Habakkuk and God, which reminds us of Job. It even has this lamenting aspect that, um, that reminds us of lamentations. And in fact, the chapter that we're in right now, chapter three, is actually a psalm. And so as a prophetic book, it's one of those things where it doesn't read like a typical prophetic book. Now Habakkuk as a minor prophet, he existed during the time of the Southern Kingdom. At the time when the nation of Babylon was rising and gaining strength and exerting their dominance over the world. And this is right when he was um, serving as a prophet. And now the first two chapters we have to look at first, very briefly, just so we have context to get into chapter three. And so what we look at is that chapter two records this conversation between Habakkuk and God. Habakkuk complains, God responds. Habakkuk complains again, and then God responds again. And then Habakkuk is able to articulate this beautiful prayer of faith, this beautiful prayer of faith in the form of a psalm. But see, Habakkuk's first complaint was simply this. If, if you look quickly at the first few verses of chapter one, he's saying, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why are you making me see all this wrong? God, why do you idly look at wrong? In other words, he's saying, why are you not doing anything? And what he's referring to, why are you not doing? He's referring to God's judgment. And he's saying, God, there is immorality, there is idolatry that is running rampant among your people here in Judah. Why are you not judging them? In other words, why am I waiting on you? And God responds, but he responds in a way that kind of throws Habakkuk for a loop because God responds the way he chooses to respond, right? And God says this, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Now this is referring to the Babylonians. So in other words, it's God is referring that he is raising up a wicked nation of Babylon to exact judgment on God's people. Let me say that again. He is utilizing another nation for judgment on the immorality and the idolatry that's running through the people of Judah. And God is, he's helping Habakkuk in this response. He's helping Habakkuk understand that, look, you seem to be waiting on me and you think you're waiting and I'm doing nothing, but I'm very much at work. I very much am at work. You may not see it, but I am raising up a nation to judge. So then Habakkuk complains again. And it's with this God honoring understanding this time because he goes later on in chapter one, he says, oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. And then he says, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent? He's, he's basically saying, um, okay, God, like what is going on? You promised that we are your people. How is it that you're gonna raise up a nation, a wicked nation to judge your chosen people when you should be judging the Babylonians? What gives God? I don't understand. Why are you just idly standing by and not judging them? 
And God responds again in chapter two. He says this, the vision awaits its appointed time. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. And then he utters this to Habakkuk, the righteous will live by his faith. See, God's saying judgment will surely come to the Babylonians. And you just have to be patient, Habakkuk. You, you got to wait on me. You got to trust in me. My work will surely come. Wait on it. In the meantime, live by faith in me, Habakkuk. And so then we get to chapter three, which we will look at in detail today, that shows the subsequent strengthening of faith within Habakkuk and how through this honest questioning of God in the first two chapters, he was able to pen this prayer of faith. And it tells us the nature of prayer and how faith is very much crucial, crucial in our conversations with God, especially as we wait on God. So I'm going to read chapter three and we'll start here. And please read along with me if you choose. So a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shijanoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath remember mercy. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and ride, the raging water swept on, the deep gave forth its voice, it lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors. Who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret? You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come, to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Thus it being a song, right? This is the reading of God's word. So what I want us to talk about today is what waiting on God in faith means. And as we 
look at chapter three, Habakkuk's prayer, we're going to see this, that waiting on God in faith means requesting in faith the promises of God, remembering the faithfulness of God, and then responding in faith to God. So let's take a look at the first part of waiting on God in faith means requesting in faith the very promises of God. And we find this in the first two, in, the, in verse two, where it says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath, remember mercy. See, Habakkuk starts off this prayer with a recognition of how God had worked in the past. He said, I heard the report. Like, in your work that I heard, I, I do fear. I humbly acknowledge that you are a sovereign God. And so he's talking about how God worked in the lives of his forefathers, how God promised to them an everlasting kingdom that would be established through them. Psalm 44 says, Oh God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. See, Habakkuk is sincere and reverent in recognizing that God's ways of working are for a holy and righteous purpose, that God alone promised for his people. Now, Habakkuk then goes on to request God's salvation work to continue, that God's salvation work for his people would continue. He says, in the midst of years, revive it, bring it back. In the midst of the years, make it known. And in faith, Habakkuk knew that God worked in miraculous ways in delivering his people. And he requested in faith for it to continue. God, I remember your salvation work of the past. I've heard of that in the past. Would you bring it back and continue it? This is what I'm asking for. This is what I'm requesting. And his, his requesting in faith also showed something very important that he knew that God works in God's time and according to God's will. You know, back in chapter two, God answered Habakkuk's complaint by saying, wait for it, right? He said, wait for it. It will not delay. It will surely come, but Habakkuk, wait for it. And we see in this prayer now that Habakkuk is showing this deep reverence for the ways and timing of God. Even in the midst of this waiting for what God had promised, he's saying, I acknowledge that in the midst of the years, it may be a long time and I will wait. But see, after requesting in faith for God's salvation work to continue, he requests one more thing in faith. He says in the end of verse two, in wrath, remember mercy. See, Habakkuk is keenly aware that God is not pleased with his people. But as his chosen people, Habakkuk also knows that God will extend mercy and grace to his people. And so he's saying, God, in your wrath, when judgment comes, whenever you so choose it, God, please remember your mercy in that wrath, please, for your people. And this requesting in faith of Habakkuk sheds light on something. He understood God. He feared God. He desired for God's justice to prevail. He was requesting in faith for God to show his holiness, for God to show his power, for God to show his might. And he was requesting in faith for the promises of God. But see, he recognized something, church. He recognized that he could not understand God's plan for establishing his eternal kingdom. Because he's thinking back, he's like, this is how you, you did it in the past, but clearly you're not doing that now. So clearly I am not understanding how you are going to do it. 
but I still trust the one who will do it. And Habakkuk was boldly waiting on God in faith by requesting in faith the promises of God. Now, remember earlier, I said one of our common responses to waiting on God or even waiting in general is impatience, right? And we saw it in the first two complaints of Habakkuk with all the why questioning. Why not now? Why, why are you doing nothing? It seems like your, your justice is paralyzed, that you, you're not doing anything about it. See, Habakkuk was urgently wanting God to work right away. But God said, wait. And remember, God said, wait for it. It will surely come. That was a promise. He said, it will surely come, Habakkuk. And so we see Habakkuk now in this prayer to God, his father, requesting the very promises of God to come and be revived, but with the perspective of God's will in God's timing. We see this new perspective enables Habakkuk now to wait patiently on God in faith. And I think perspective is what we need to help us battle impatience while we wait on God. I think, let me ask a question. While you wait on God in faith, are you requesting the promises of God in faith with perspective? I think some of you would say, yeah, sure. I think a lot of you would say, Derek, I don't even think I understand the question. And that's fine. That's what we have Habakkuk for. It says, it's easy for us to request promises of God in faith, but it's really hard for us to grasp the perspective of God's will within that request. Let me give you a personal example to help you apply it. When Becky and I first got married a long time ago, and it's been a wonderful time, but we got married and for two years we prayed, God, we want kids. God, give us kids. Please give us kids. And we were requesting. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it say God promises kids, even a spouse. But we were still faithfully praying, God, give us kids. And for two years. And can you imagine the excitement when after two years we got pregnant? It was amazing. We were so over the moon. But as quickly as that excitement came with the news, it was immediately mired with questioning and confusion because the miscarriage happened. And I can tell you that wrecked our worlds because all of a sudden we realized, God, wait a minute. You know, in the book of James, you said every good and perfect gift comes from you, God, and a baby is a good thing. Like, well, how, why would you take this away? What are you doing, God? Why? And it was in this season of waiting that, that we questioned God honestly, that we looked to God, that we searched the scriptures. And it was in this season of waiting, church, where Becca and I understood that we lost our first child and we're waiting to see, could we ever have children again? And as nerve-wracking as it was, I, I, I can't tell you, God did something. He gave me a good and perfect gift. And I'm not talking about my firstborn Silas, for those of you who know us. The good and perfect gift that God gave Becca and I was working in our hearts for him. See, he, he grew our trust in him, that he is good despite all this bad that's around us that we can trust him no matter what. Like with as bad as things are and as bad as things can get, he worked in our hearts to be reminded that he is good. 
no matter what, and that we can trust him. And as a husband, wanting to help your wife, wanting to lead your wife, I realized something, that my dependence on God the Father to do what only God does best is crucial. Because in that moment of loss, I realized I was insufficient, incapable of helping my wife through this. But I was totally confident in a perfect, loving, heavenly father to take care of my wife. And so our prayer changed. It wasn't God give us kids. It was this, God, listen, we would love to have kids. And if you bless us with it, that's great. If you bless us with kids, that's awesome. But God, if you don't, in your sovereign plan, if you choose not to bless us with kids, God, guess what? We are still good with you. We still trust you. We love you. And we will have faith in you as long as we wait. And it's in this waiting of God that there was a request with new perspective. So how about you? Maybe, maybe right now you're in this insanely dark season. And your request is, God, pull me out, pull me out. Just, God, get me out of this dark season. Or are you remembering the promise of God that's recorded in Psalm 23 when it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For what? For God, you are with me, your rod and staff. They comfort me. See, saying, God, Man, if you take me out of this dark season, that would be great. But God, praise your glorious name for promising to be with me. Continue to be with me as long as this dark season continues. Maybe you're like me and you have a disease or an illness that you, you desire healing from. And you're saying, God, heal me right now. God, heal me right now. Or are you praying with perspective where you're saying, God, Please heal me. God, I know you can heal me. You are the great healer, the great physician. I, I know you can do it, but if not, if you choose not, God, I know your promise of ultimate healing when you call me home will come to pass. And so it's in this waiting on God in faith that we gain perspective and we're able to wait on God in faith by requesting in faith the promises of God. So let's now take a look at how waiting in faith uh, means remembering the faithfulness of God. And now we see Habakkuk record this in a big chunk of this psalm from verse 3 to 15. Now I'm not going to read this back to you, but I am going to give you the Cliff's Notes version pretty quick so that we can make it through this prayer in a timely manner. <laughs> so Habakkuk writes this portion of his prayer where he remembers God's faithfulness and he writes it as a theophany. And a theophany is an appearance of God in great power and glory. But it's an appearance of God in great power and glory in conjunction with the deliverance of God's people. And so Habakkuk is using these verses to illustrate God's faithfulness in a continuous remembrance and praise. That the God of Israel's salvation in the past is also the God of Habakkuk salvation in the now and future. So let's work through this passage in verses three and four of the Theophany. It's an allusion to God's glorious appearing when he gave the law and how he continued to lead the Israelites through the wilderness. Verse five is a direct, uh, a direct remembrance of God's deliverance of his people from the bondage of Egypt. 
when we get to verse six right here, uh, Habakkuk is elaborating on God being over all of creation. He's saying, look, the mountains, the, the hills from, from days of old, God, you were way more eternal. You were more sure, more strong, more steady. And this gave Habakkuk assurance that God would deliver the Israelites from all the nations that were surrounding them. Verse seven continues in a remembering of God's faithfulness with imagery about God continuing to save and deliver his people from the enemies of Israel. Verse eight, we look at the reference to remembering God's faithfulness in Israel's safe passage through the Red Sea. Remember when God parted the Red Sea and enabled the Israelites to be delivered and to save them from the Egyptians. Verses nine through 12 now, Remember the faithfulness of God in the establishment of the promised land. Remember the promise of land for the Israelites. And Habakkuk's remembering the faithfulness of God in the past that's saying, hey, he started this and he's establishing it for the people. In verse 13, he's remembering God's faithfulness in the establishment of a Davidic king. Remember King David? Who comes from the line of King David? the Messiah, the promised one. And he's remembering God's faithfulness in establishing King David at the beginning. Though he's still waiting on the Messiah, Habakkuk never meets the Messiah, but he knows that in God initiating, God had a plan and he's gonna, and God's gonna see that plan through from start to finish. Verses 14 and 15 continue talking about the deliverance from uh, Israel's enemies. And then it's topped off the theophany with God's power and control over all creation. See, the God of Israel was consistently working for the deliverance and salvation of his people. And Habakkuk couldn't help but remember and meditate on God's faithfulness. See, to Habakkuk, remembering the faithfulness of God points to God's glory. See, God was faithful to an unfaithful people. He remembers the thick-necked Israelites in the wilderness that complained and, and made idols and worshiped idols, even while God was actively delivering them, actively leading them. And he's saying, look, God, you receive all praise and glory. You were faithful to an unfaithful people over and over again. And this was also that the God of Israel, that God would receive all glory. And so while Habakkuk was waiting on God in faith for justice, in, in, as he wrote this prayer, as he's waiting for this justice against the wicked nation of Babylon and the immoral people of Israel, he gained perspective through remembering the faithfulness of God. See, Habakkuk gained perspective through this remembering and it sustains him in the here and now. He's saying, God, you did it then. And though you may be doing something different now, I know you are still working your plan, your promise. Habakkuk realized through remembering God's faithfulness, he could rest in the God of yesterday and in the God of today, even amidst his waiting on God in faith. Now I think impatience has this tendency, church, where it rears its ugly head at times when we're waiting on God and, and it, it's because we lose this perspective. Like when we don't remember the faithfulness of God, not, not just in the Bible, but the faithfulness of God in our lives, when, when we fail to remember that and meditate on that, we look only at the what next of tomorrow. 
And, and so what happens is, is we put blinders on and all of a sudden we're just looking at today. Well, God's not working. He's not faithful today. So that means tomorrow he won't be. And we're forgetting about the faithfulness of God from the beginning of time. See, we need to consistently go back as we wait on God in faith and remember his faithfulness to help us rest in our waiting on him. This helps us not grow impatient with God's sovereign plan. Let me tell you a story about an evangelical preacher named Charles Simeon. He was in the 1800s and he was assigned to the Trinity Church at Cambridge in England. Now he was assigned there, the people didn't ask him to come. And it's important to note that he is an evangelical preacher and here's why. He was the first preacher that that congregation ever had that called for conversion, that called for repentance, that called for holiness, that called for evangelism, and the people in that church wanted nothing to do with that. So much so that they des they despised him. Here's what they did. In a sheer crazy protest, they locked all the pews. They did not allow anybody who wanted to come hear Charles Simeon preach. They would not let them sit in the pews. So if you wanted to hear Charles Simeon preach on Sunday morning, you had to stand in the aisles. You want to take a guess at how long he had to do that and endure that? 12 years, 12 years of intense opposition. Now, Charles Simeon went on to pastor that church for 54 years. But I think the question is, how in the world could he exercise and endure and display such patience in a long season of waiting on God? 12 years. Well, I think the answer lies on the words he slowly uttered between breaths on his deathbed. He said this, he said, infinite wisdom has arranged the whole with infinite love and infinite power enables me to rest upon that love. I am in a dear father's hands, all is secure. When I look to him, I see nothing but faithfulness. In immutability and truth, and I have the sweetest peace, I cannot have more peace. See, he was able to utter, utter these words, church, because for 54 years, he had trained himself to go back to scripture to go directly to God, to remember the faithfulness of God as recorded in the scripture, to remember the faithfulness of God in Charles Simeon's life through his prayer and praise of his Lord and Savior. And it gave him perspective to conquer impatience. And it enabled him to rest in the faithfulness of God as he waited on God in faith for 12 years. And eventually it helped him wait on God to call him home. How often do you get distracted from, the, from remembering the faithfulness of God? Like, do you routinely go to scripture to bolster your faith in God, especially as you wait? I mean, we're in this season of waiting in this pandemic, and I know we all had these crazy plans, right? At the beginning of this, we're like, we're gonna be stuck at home, so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna read 25 books. I'm gonna binge watch Office reruns over and over and over. Oh, and I'm gonna add all these other series that are coming up. Um, there's one about Michael Jordan coming up. I wanna watch that. And we have all these plans, and then what happens? Some of them happen, but then we get distracted, don't we? I've got six little tyrants running around my, my house. So reading is very hard at home. And I probably spent more time watching TV than I should have. And I, I, I lost perspective, and I'm sure all of us have lost perspective on being focused on remembering the faithfulness of God, especially in this season of waiting. 
See, Habakkuk went to God in his word over and over to remember the faithfulness of God as he waited on God in faith. In church, we would be served very well to learn that, to learn that as we wait, we need to remember the faithfulness of God because it helps give us strength and rest and assurance in the waiting of the now. So as we look to that, let's, let's look now at how waiting on God in faith means responding in faith to God. Now in verses 16 through 19, we see the maturing of faith in Habakkuk's waiting on God in faith. And it comes to a pinnacle right here. I love it. And the, the responses of faith in, to God from Habakkuk occur in verses 16 and 18. Now verse 16 is amazing because he utters the words, yet I will quietly wait for the day. He's, he's saying, I will quietly wait. Remember back in chapters one and two, he's like, why, why, why? Let's get going. Let's, there needs to be this urgency of your, of your justice, God. And he was questioning, like, are you just standing idle? Why, why are you not judging Babylon and the, and the wicked that are found within your own people? And, and he was questioning, God, are you paralyzed right now? Or are you not doing anything? And remember what God says. He says, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. And now in verse 16, we see Habakkuk's faithful response to waiting on God in faith. Habakkuk responded in faith to the very command that God gave Habakkuk for faith. He said, wait for it. And so now Habakkuk says, I will quietly wait for the day. Notice he's saying quietly waiting. He is responding in faith to a God who is telling him to wait and he is doing it quietly. This illustrates contentment and confidence, complete confidence in God that God's going to do it and that he doesn't need to question anymore. God, you promised it will surely come and I know that when you promise, you always see that through. And he says, I will wait. What an amazing response of faith to God, right? Especially while he's waiting on God. Now Habakkuk's second response to God continues to illustrate his completed and matured faith. Now, verse 17 kind of sets up his response in verse 18. And in verse 17, Habakkuk strings six things in increasing value together. Now, it's important to note that this is one thing. So he's saying, if this goes away, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. He's not saying if this or this. It's all one thing. And he's doing it from lesser to greater because basically, look at it this way. If God were to take away the first thing, the easy thing, no big deal. If God were to take the big thing, Habakkuk's saying, yeah, that's a big deal, but I'd, we'd still be okay. But he's saying, God, if you take all of this away, it would be utter destruction. But what does he say? God, even if you do take everything away, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord of my salvation. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He's saying that even as I quietly wait on you, God, and I'm waiting in faith, God, and everything is taken away, I still will rejoice in you for you are the God of my salvation. He knew that through faith and in faith, he could trust in God alone to finish his work, to judge, to deliver and save. And it's amazing to see this transformation in Habakkuk. He's saying, even as I quietly wait, even though everything wastes away and I'm still waiting. And even if I never see the promise come to fulfillment, God, I still will rejoice in you and take joy in you for you are the God of my salvation. 
What a mature response in faith to God. Habakkuk's recognizing the providence and sovereignty that God has over his creation and his people. He understands that God has complete care, concern, and control over his creation. The neat thing is to see how Habakkuk responds in faith, right? What does he say? He's resolved to rejoice in the Lord. He's saying, I'm going to take joy in God and I'm going to worship even while I wait. And I think Waylon Bailey, who writes a commentary on the book of Habakkuk, uh, helps us understand how Habakkuk had the perspective to say, I'm going to worship while I wait. And he says this, he says, Habakkuk learned that God is just if one waits to see the long-term work of God, who in his sovereignty and eternity chooses to work according to his timetable and according to his understanding of the ways of his people and the needs of his people. Meaning, even if he was still in the season of waiting and never saw the promise of God's judgment fulfilled, he would rejoice and be okay. He would worship. See, he knew something. And this is very important. If you, if you miss anything today, don't miss this. God is faithful to keep God's promises in God's time for God's glory. God is faithful to keep God's promises in God's time for God's glory. And Habakkuk responded in faith with worship. So here's our application, church family. Have you learned to worship while you wait? Have you learned how to worship while you wait? It's, it's hard, I think, because if we lose perspective, it's hard to worship, right? Because if we lose perspective on what we should be worshiping, then we end up worshiping something else. TV, family, sports, you name it. Because if our eyes are turned in a different direction this way, then we're now no longer worshiping the thing that we should be focused on. So I want to encourage you, church. There is only one who is worthy of our worship. Remember at the very beginning of this prayer, Habakkuk made a request. He said, in wrath, remember mercy. Now, Habakkuk never saw this promise fulfilled where God remembered mercy in his wrath. And God answered this request in his own time. When? When Jesus Christ, God's own son, bore the weight of our sin and died on the cross for us. It was Jesus instead of us. It was on that cross where Jesus received the full and utter entire wrath of God that was rightfully due you and me. And so it's the cross where God's wrath and mercy met. It's on the cross where Jesus Christ being the very mercy of God also took on the very wrath of God for you and I. Hebrews 12 says, looking to Jesus, focusing on Jesus, having the perspective of what Jesus has done for us, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus gave himself up for you and me, that those who believe in him will have eternal life, all for the glory of God. Amen. That truth is worth repeating, rejoicing, and resting in. We should. And so in this season of waiting, church, I'm praying that, that we will learn to wait on God in faith and that we'll request the promises of God in faith with perspective, that we will remember God's faithfulness to help with perspective, and that we will respond in faith to God. But I'm sure that there's those of you out there right now who've never responded to God in faith, that you've never responded 
to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And dear friend, what, what are you waiting on? Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Dear friend, God moved first. There's no waiting involved. He said, I know you're still sinning and I'm still going to redeem. I'm still going to save because I love you very much. And if you're wondering how in the world do I do that? Well, you can just pray a prayer and you can repeat after me if you want. You, dear God, you are eternal. God, I may not be knowing a lot of who you are, God, but I want to trust and believe. God, give me the gift of faith. God, help me to recognize my sins, all the wrongs I've done. God, please forgive them. God, I, I trust and believe that you sent Jesus Christ, your son, to die for me. God, would you please help and make him Lord of my life? In Jesus Christ, amen. Church family, in this season of waiting, will you worship? We'll see you next week.